S-A-M-I-R-Y-E, Semirai here with another one of those podcasts with Semirai, episode 101, that's it, it's it's behind us, no, no real, you know, milestones to look forward to, we did a year of the podcast, that was done, then we ended up getting to episode 100, that's done, now this is, this is a regular episode now, I, I don't feel like there's any need to have any gimmicks or anything like that, I'm just gonna start phoning in at this point and not put a lot of effort into it. No, I'm just kidding. But I do feel like um, that it's kind of weird. Like, it's not, it's definitely not new anymore. Um, and it's crazy that, you know, I can firmly remember uh, how I felt when I was unsure about doing the podcast. I can remember about, you know, the first 10 or so weeks before we got to episode one, um, when I was, you know, contemplating what it was going to be about and what we were going to do and talking to different people. And should I have a co-host? Should I have different guest appearances? Um you know, trying to really figure out all this stuff. And then, you know, moving into the first 10 weeks, I was I was really unsure. That's 20 weeks right there, you know, going through the whole process. But now we're 100, 100 weeks into the show, 101 weeks today. And I felt like, you know what, I mean, is episode 150 in special? Nah. Is episode, you know, I don't know, one one uh, 200 special? Nah. Don't, they, don't, they don't feel right. Um, I, some people might say 500 is good, but I don't, I don't think that's really a strong number. So I think the only next, next impressive number I would think would be is episode 1000, right? That would be the only time I have to really like go all out again. And that would be in 20 years. I looked it up, right? So 1,900 weeks from now would take me to the 1,000th episode of the podcast. And that's going to be May 30th, uh, 2040. I would be 57 years old, going on 58 years old. Um, so mark that down your calendar for episode 1000. We'll probably do something real big, probably have a big special guest. It's going to be great. I'm calling my shots right now. Uh, if I'm still alive and kicking, I have no no intention of retiring the podcast. Um, I don't even know how, what that would look like. But yeah, man, I hope you guys out there, if you guys are interested in doing your own podcast, definitely should give it a try. Yes, try it. Don't even hesitate. Go on Anchor. I say it in the commercial every week, and I seriously mean it. I think it's super fun, um, and it's one of the best things, you know, that I've had added to my life, you know, since, you know, in the last 100 weeks. All right, so that's the intro for the week. This week, we're going to be talking about some ways to save money as an artist, some things you guys can be doing, looking at the finances of your small business. This is when I kind of start my fiscal year for my business. Um, I'm going into, I think, the third year now. Um, and I'm looking forward to a bunch of things, seeing some ways to save money and some tips I have on that. We're also going to do music of the week and movie of the week. And then a bonus topic we're going to save for after we come back from the commercial break. All right. I'm Sammy Rye. I hope you guys are having a great week. So you're starting a business, you think about starting a business, you have a hobby, you have a passion, a craft, something you think you want to do. I like to talk about art and business on this podcast. It's my North Star. Some weeks it's just, you know, video games and fun stuff or having like, you know, a friend on the show. Um, But art and business is always the heart of what I'm about. It's when I'm asleep, when I'm awake, when I'm alone by myself, I like thinking about artistic stuff or business stuff. And I really like to think of you know, how are ways that people can make money using art and it not be a dirty word, right? I think a lot of times the whole idea that you can't mix art and business and artists should just be, you know, whatever, whatever. And business, I don't think that's true. I think the high bred player, you know, the, the quarterback that can run, the, uh, 
the the wide receiver that can also juggle. I don't know. I don't know what else a wide receiver needs to do besides catch the ball. Um, but when you think about people in the future, I think you know the world is going to show us that we should be more diverse. We should all be more polymaths, right? More Leonardo da Vinci's, and not so much just you know. Um, an expert in just one particular field is the world and technology is going to help us be able to do things more fast than we ever done before, faster than we ever done it before. And you have to be more versatile. You have to know how to do more than one thing. Um, there's a lot of people out there, younger people who are used to that lifestyle and that's what they're going to do. So you have to adapt and you have to be able to, you know, keep your eyes open to these different things. Talking about that, I want to talk about, you know, some different tips that I would say to start off your year, things that I'm already doing to start off my year. This is my my fiscal year. I always like to mention that I started in March as a tip I give everybody. Number one, um, you know, all the years I've done business, there were years where I could not do business. Money was not in place, had to close down websites, had to, you know, restart. And now that I've been for three years running this current business, Semirai.com, that podcast of Semirai, all the stories that I'm working on, my screenplays. Everything I've been developing over the last three years all has been successful because I start my businesses in March, basically mid-March, about 30 days from now, actually. So it's kind of like mid-March, end of April. That gives me two buffers. One, for me personally, my job, that's where I get like my yearly bonus. And then two is my income tax. Income tax being the main thing. And what I do is on my, my, my wages, you know, and you can do this at your job if you didn't know. I didn't know when I was just starting out. If you have a, a you know weekly paycheck, you call your job, you call your HR department, and you tell them you want to do max withholding in your taxes. What that does is it basically the IRS takes out the, as much money as they possibly allow to. It's about I think like I don't know if it's twenty percent or something like that, but it's 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 the highest number. Um, and you learn to live at that lifestyle. If you can, you save money at that lifestyle, and then that's going to give you the most amount of taxes. You're overpaying your taxes, so you're not doing anything great. You're just basically, the IRS sometimes refers to it as forced savings, kind of a concept where they're taking the money out before you get it, you can't even touch it. Then make sure you do your taxes right at the end of the year, which you should always be doing anyway. You file them, they see who you are, they give you back way all the extra money that you're not supposed to pay. Because when you're doing your taxes, if you don't know, you're not giving the government more money or less money than what you're supposed to give them. You're just giving them the money based on the questions that you have and how much you're supposed to pay for taxes. So some people, you have that kind of impulse control, which I never was really great at when I was younger. Um, they like to have you know all their money in their hand, and then they might even just pay a tax bill at the end of the year because they want to have all their money every week, and they can save that money every week and do whatever they want to do with it. Me, that's 52 reasons or 52 ways to get a decision wrong. I'd rather um, just have it there, and every year there's just one right decision, a check. It's handed to me by Uncle Sam. Um, that's always been the way I've been able to do that. So that's a tip. That's a concept. That's a tip that I have. And like I said, it changed my my three year approach or my, my last three years of success. Definitely, that's the crux of it. So that's step number one for me. Uh, step number two: looking out for deals and ways to save money. As a young entrepreneur, young artist, whichever thing you're into, you gotta really be have a mind to be a, a good shopper and find ways to save money. Obviously, Amazon. We all know that's a real way to save money. And I'm going to say that while I'm not saying anything new by saying Amazon's place to save money, I'm going to say that that is it. Me, in my opinion, over the years, messing with eBay, messing with AliExpress, messing with all these other sites, Wish or any other site that pops up that claims that you can you know, save even more money than Amazon with them, it's simply just not worth it. Even if you get one or two products here or there, depending on any other company that's not Amazon, is going to lead to a situation where you're going to have a big problem. You're going to have some money wrapped up with some company somewhere around the world. You're trying to get to them. No one's holding them accountable. The business won't step up and give you your money back. 
I am done messing with anybody else. I, I'm not an Amazon fanboy or anything like that. It's simply just necessity at this point. One day in the future, will Amazon turn on me and not give me good customer service? Maybe. But until then, I have pretty unbeatable prices. And if a company can beat the prices, I'd rather not even deal with them. I saw there was a company that um, ran some ads for Super Bowl, so I'm not going to give them more press or anything like that. Not that I have a huge listener base or anything here. But for you guys that are listening, if you heard about this company... It's a company that they claim they're similar to Amazon. They can have like even better prices than Amazon. Um, and I looked into it, and of course, I found that like on Consumer Reports, they they are like already below a fifty percent customer satisfaction rating. Um, you know, people who are getting things are really happy with it, and they're posting videos on YouTube and TikTok of like these big hauls and all this like cheap stuff they bought from this website. And then, of course, there's other people who are saying, yeah, I, I bought some stuff with this company. They never sent it to me. I'm trying to get my money back. Nobody gave me money back because, um, you know, this the, the main company is just like facilitating like Amazon does between different private sellers and then, you know, the basic consumer base. And they're using their whole shipping department to make it, the whole thing happen like Amazon. They think they can do two-day delivery and all that kind of stuff. Um, it, but it's not worth it, right? So I go do the look and say, see, look, it's, it's not going to be the time. And my experience with AliExpress, which is also a company from Asia, when dealing with Asia, they can do cheap. They can do fast. They can do mass. Um, but my experience has been with AliExpress especially, um, it's not a, a customer service you know, focused thing. It's not even always a quality thing. It is all those things. You want this cheap. You want this fast. Here you go. And that's not always the experience. I feel like it's a lot of hassle, a lot of bad energy wasted on all these things. I recommend if you're out there shopping, even eBay. I don't, I don't have any great experiences with eBay. I still think their platform is way too old, and the way they're still trying to make people bid on stuff, it's just a waste of time. If I want something, I buy it. Set a price, let me buy that thing. Um, if you're out there and you're a collector or something like that, maybe you have a certain business that eBay works for you, that's good. If you're niching down and like Etsy works for you, that's fine. I'm not saying that you can't do anything that personally works for you. I'm just saying in general, my rule of thumb, my experience is what I'm sharing with you. If you're out there, you're just making purchases to run your business, stick with Amazon. It's just the best company to work with. Um, I've never had problems getting money back from them. Um, and even when I've bought one or two suspicious things there, or people I know have bought those things and I've had to you know, help them get the money back, uh, then it's always because they're buying from somebody on there that you should be buying from. You know, So you got to watch the reviews, watch the, the star ratings, see how many people have bought from them, check that history out. There's, all the tools are there for you. And that's why I recommend Amazon. With that being said, it is my guys. Some of you guys hear this. It's gonna be the beginning of March. Um, keep an eye out on for the Epic Store. Epic has a bunch of free content to give out. I keep explaining this every month to you guys. Make an Epic account if you don't have one. You might already have one if you play games like Fortnite. Log on to any kind of computer or mobile device. Reclaim the free items. You may not think you need them now, but you'll be surprised. In five or ten years, you can have literally thousands of dollars worth of digital content. And then you or someone on your team might say, hey, I have a computer. There's this thing called Unreal 5, Unreal 6, Unreal 7. It's super easy. There's all these videos online. I think we could use this to do X, Y, or Z for our business. And then you could turn around and say, oh, yeah? Well, I have thousands of dollars of free stuff that Epic has given us. Let's look through this vast library I've amassed of all this digital content. What can we use? How can we use it? And then you're going to find all these great videos to show you how to use it. It's a no-brainer. There's, it takes you 30 seconds. It, you know, It's a free haul of hundreds of dollars worth of digital materials every single month that you can be claiming 
um, claim them. Claim them right now. Stop not claiming them. <laughs> then um, also for, for anybody out there who's interested in doing their own art, logos, lettering, uh, anything if you know visuals for your business, there's probably something in your business that requires client visuals. Amazon's a great place to find art books, which I was not aware of. You know, I love art books, but if you go to Barnes and Nobles, they're like $50, $60. Sometimes they're much more expensive. These are books that will showcase art and you can use them as reference when you're drawing, basically. Or they might even explain to you how the art process works. I got this great book on He-Man, the He-Man reboot on Netflix. Um, their art book on Amazon, which normally is about $50 in Barnes and Nobles, was about $22 on Amazon. Perfect condition, brand new condition. And listening to these people talk about their journey in their business motivates me for my journey in my business. And I think that's something that I always talk about on the show is you can learn from other people. If you don't want to be an animator or make a He-Man show, it doesn't matter. You can listen to people tell stories about how they were happy working with like-minded people, how they were successful in their business, how it took them years to get this project off the ground. That's something I think that you need to hear sometimes because if you're in a bubble and you have a very specific business that's just like something that you do, maybe you like or vacuum cleaner repair person or something like that, and you have a new idea to repair vacuums, you might not have a lot of people that you can turn to. There might be a lot of books on that. But you got to look and read between the lines and find other success stories about other people who you know met like-minded people, worked together, and made awesome things happen. That's what you got to look for, and that's some of those good art books out there. So I definitely recommend that He-Man art book because it has that. It has cool art. It has things that you can learn from it. But it also tells a story about how a bunch of people got together and made that process happen. I've never even seen the show. And it's cool learning about the art without seeing the show. I'm going to watch the show now that I've learned about the art. But um, going in from, it, from that perspective, whereas I have another book for um, Apex Legends, which was on sale again for like $20. They have a beautiful art book. And I am more familiar with that game. I'm not like a big Apex player or nothing like that. But I do know what it is. I played Titanfall and some of the other games from that company. But um. I know what that art is. So like I'm going from it from a different perspective with that one. I also found this like $8 Fortnite book, like how to draw characters. It's a green book. And um, if you guys are interested in any of these books in particular, let me know. That book has actually been really good. It has daily exercises, and I'm not a big fan of the art. It's not actually Fortnite art. They did this thing where they got like another artist to draw Fortnite characters in their style. So you are learning how to draw Fortnite characters, but not in the style of Fortnite necessarily. Um, it has way too much pencil detail, shading, and sketching for like Fortnite characters that don't have that. It's more like an animated style. Um, but whatever. It's still actually a good book for learning. And there's a lot of like small little tips in there. Uh, it's not the greatest resource for learning. But for $8, it gives you some things to look at. And um, I felt like it's, it's been having a great impact on my, 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 my work is every day, you know, doing some of their artwork. Um, so that, again, these are just things I'm saying, you know, if you have something that you do, and it's different, you know, like say you, you do another kind of business, I won't make up another fake example. But, you know, find out ways to save money. Find out ways that you can be, you know, in the know. Is it a Facebook group you should join? Should you be in a Discord? You can talk about it in the Samurai Discord. You know, bring other people in there. If you want to, you know, instead of making your own Discord and having four or five people that may or may not show up, bring them to the syndicate. Because you guys can also talk about other things and then also talk, talk about your business and things that you're interested in. And I'm always interested about other entrepreneurs chasing their dreams. It doesn't matter if we're chasing the same dream. He's having people around you. I think it's infectious. The energy of seeing people try to do things, I think that's really awesome. That's what I hope the Samurai Syndicate is for everybody. If you don't know how to join the Discord, go to Samurai.com, S-A-M-I-R-Y-E.com, and go ahead and look for the Discord link in the menu bar. Hop on in, introduce yourself, and chat. We can hang out, baby. That's pretty much everything. Um, 
that's the main thing I'm going to talk about for the first segment. The second segment of the podcast after the commercial break, I'm going to go into how I was bankrupt and how I fixed my credit. I'm going to extend you basically my whole financial history and all the ups and downs, things I learned, things I did not know, things that I thought were awesome that weren't awesome, and things that are currently really working for me right now. And I'm going to share that stuff with you after the commercial break. Music of the week. You know, I try to bring something every week to be interesting to you guys. You guys tune in. There's, you know, you know, top 100 lists. There's probably like, you know, top 10 pop songs. And people already cover all that stuff. I want to give you guys something to think about, something to chew on, right? Something that only Sammy is going to give you. And this week, I want to highlight a very interesting artist, kind of even complex for me to understand. His name is Keith Power. K-E-I-T-H, Power, P-O-W-E-R. Keith Power, from my understanding, is like a musical composer, a musical director. He works on movies. He works on video games. I guess the most comparable person would be someone possibly like Danny Elfman. But that's not a good example if you know Danny Elfman's signature style. And then you feel like, oh, like this is going to be a guy like that. Because Keith Power does very different music. One song I hear from him might be something that really, you know, touches me. Another song might be something that's completely different based on whatever project he's doing. He does all kinds of stuff, video games, movies, and things like that. You might know him from Age of Ultron. He did music for them. And the song that really I want to mention that really, really gets me going, uh, one of my favorite songs of all time, really, is We All Lift Together. We All Lift, L-I-F-T, Together. Um, which was a theme song for one of the Warframe expansions. Um, the music video, I thought, was awesome. Or the, I guess the trailer for the game expansion was awesome. And um, and the song is so moving. My favorite version of the song is this hour-long extended mix that someone made and put on YouTube. You put We All Lift Together, We All Lift Together, and you know one-hour you know mix or extended mix or whatever. And I could listen to that for like eight hours straight. It's, it, the song is so moving to me. Um, and it has this great energy to it where I feel like it's almost like a spiritual song. But it's it's not necessarily you know aimed at one religion. It's kind of aimed at more the human spirit and our existence in a long period of time. It's something tribal about it. Um, it's just, yeah, it just really gets into that, I think, that primal emotional thing that I think sometimes you might experience if you ever went to a church or whatever into that kind of thing and you had a big spiritual experience. That song is like a spiritual experience to me. Um, that's Keith Power, We All Lift Together from the Warframe soundtrack or from the Warframe trailer, I guess you would say. Um, and he has other music in there that's also great, but that is the one that's like, that's why I had to mention him. And his other music is very interesting to look to see like, you know, when it comes to the songs that he makes, what are the elements that really stick out? Like, was it the writer on We All Live Together? Was it the fact that they teamed up or he worked with that, that particular choir? What was it that made that song really hit? Well, I think with, you know, a regular artist who's making music on their own or kind of doing it themselves, you kind of will look at it as, oh, well, this is the qualities this artist brings to it. But when you look at his music, he works with lots of talented people. And it looks like he's like you know moving the pieces around the chessboard basically, but there's all these other people that are players in the game. So he has very interesting songs to listen to. Check him out on Spotify, um, and then definitely, like I said, check out that clip, that long clip on YouTube. That's my song. That's my pick for music of the week. I know it's different, and hopefully you guys enjoy it. 
Movie of the week. This week, I'm going to go with what I think is a kind of interesting selection here. It's got like a 6 out of 10 on like, you know, most aggregating, you know, websites or whatever. But I don't know if that number is fair. I'm going to tell you why. I'm picking Netflix's new movie, We Have a Ghost. We Have a Ghost starts Anthony Mackie. And let me pull up the cast here so I can look at um, David Harbour. Um, I don't know any of these names like that. So like Jahi D. Allo Winston is like the young star of this, the movie. Um, Jennifer Coolidge. I know Jennifer Coolidge. I know Tig uh, Notara. I can't read, so that's that's always going to be an issue for me. But yeah, I mean, you know how how I looked at it. Like we got Falcon, which is Anthony Mackie. I do know Anthony Mackie because he's been in so many movies. And then David Harbour is, you know, to me, he's Red Guardian from Marvel. To you, he might be, I think Hopper from Stranger Things. I'm not the biggest Stranger Things fan. I like season one, but yeah, I know he's he's in that season. But I like him a lot as Red Guardian, so I am a fan. Um, I never saw his Hellboy. I, I meant to watch his Hellboy. He never got around to watching it. Um, yeah, everyone talked so bad about that movie. I never got a chance to see it, and or I had chances to see it. I just was like, oh, I'm gonna watch it like next week, and then never got never sat down to watch it. Um, and I think now by this point, I think they've already announced they're remaking it, Hellboy, and they're, re- they're relaunching it again. So, yeah, but I mean, it's sure to be interesting to enjoy it. You know, it has to have some qualities that are good about it. But We Have Ghost, or We Have a Ghost on Netflix is a very interesting movie because being somebody in their mid 30s, it's aimed directly at our like age group. And it's, it's, but it also has elements that are supposed to be obviously fresh and original. Um, that has these things where they, you know, they're obviously trying to check different boxes and be inclusive. But then I feel like they also make an effort to kind of subvert some of those expectations you may have of all these things. So you can see the formula. It's it's a very formulaic movie. And they're going for, you know, there's some spectacle there with the visuals. It's kind of like what you would do in a Marvel movie. Kind of, I think, in this day and age, you sit down and say, look, these are the elements that a good movie has to have, or at least a major movie has to have. Let's have this checklist. But it can become very painfully obvious to some people that you're doing that and they might not like it. It may not feel like they're watching something artistic. It might feel like they're just something, something made more by like a machine or that makes movies kind of thing. But I don't think that's really the, the thing with We Have a Ghost. We Have a Ghost, I think, has some of those triggers for people who get really pissed off about things for no reason. Like people who are just really just not able to deal with the fact the world would like to move on and try to be more inclusive and stuff. People get mad about all these things. I, I mean, I don't, I don't personally associate with a lot of people who do that. So like, I, don't, I, I don't fully understand that person. And I don't really like to get into that whole our debate or argument, you know, whatever. I think that's where a lot of the negative scores are coming from. And I can understand that sometimes if it doesn't serve the plot and people are just hitting checkboxes and just shoving characters into a movie to try to make everyone happy, that doesn't necessarily make a good story. But I think that's not the case that We Have a Ghost. I think We Have a Ghost tries very hard to show an alternate version of the kind of families that you're used to seeing you know, portrayed in these kind of scenarios. It's a black American family, but the family is a family that would make sense if someone like Anthony Mackie, Anthony Mackie had this family. It's kind of like an alternate version of what you would think. Like, it's not this typical black family that you might see. They're not like, you know, super urban or from the hood. Like, um, it's, it kind of reminds me of like, like what the family Lenny Kravitz might have grew up in, right? Because one of the main characters... Um, he plays the guitar a lot. He's really into rock and roll music. He knows a lot about rock and roll music. So it's like a suburban family. You, you kind of would look at it. And like watching it, I could see that part of the formula was he's, he's, um, he's Lydia from Beetlejuice. 
Like, that's the character he's supposed to be. But he's different, and he's, it's fresh. And I'm like, this is cool, because I don't know, you know, the, the, the character's orientation, like his sexual preferences or anything like that, or the actor, for example. Um, in the film, they don't really get into the details of that. He kind of is looking, maybe interested into one female character. At first, I thought they're just going to be friends. By the end, it looked like, oh, maybe there might be something else there. Um, the female character I thought was awesome. She was very like fresh and it had like attitude and spunk, which I thought was cool, but it wasn't overdone. Again, it could have made her to this like, um, you know, almost a cartoon character of what a, a modern girl would be. But I thought she had a little mix of, of all kinds of things in her personality. And, um, and then it started seeing this like other version of a family where these people kind of defy some of the expectations you might have. Like even as a suburban black family, you might look at it as, um, there's a movie I can't. I don't even want to talk about on the podcast. I think it's called like something's wrong with the Johnsons, um, and it kind of you know betrays like a Cosby style family, and there's something else is going on. Like this is kind of the, the I think the stereotypes that we have for these images in our head, but like that's not always what it really is. Like people people are more complex than that, and I think modern movie audiences still have a problem watching a movie with a complex cast with complex characters. They start to like you know, drift over to whatever debate they think they're supposed to have about whatever one of these topics are being shown on the screen here. But it's like, if you stop and think about real life, these families exist. It's just, we don't see them on TV. We don't see complex characters a lot in movies and TV that have different levels and, you know, different things, you know, put into who they are as a person. You look at a family and you say, oh, this is this guy, this is that guy, this is this girl, this is that girl. And then when you say, well, no, that, that may not be what it is. There might be a spectrum of things here for lots of different things. Um, you know, this is what's going on with the family. And you say, okay, well, that's that. Well, what about the story? The story, now it reminds me of kind of, without spoiling it, it, it has like flares of the movie Ghost and even flares of the movie Casper. It kind of hits a lot of the iconic, you know, films that we grew up on. And brings them on to this new mix of a new film. Is it an instant classic? I don't know. I don't know what it's like for someone who's watching this when, if they're, you know, you know, 10 years old, like how I probably was when I was watching Beetlejuice. Um, it's, 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 I think it's a cool idea, but in this day and age with so much CGI and spectacle, I don't know if, you know, just there being a ghost is the most surprising thing to a 10 year old at this point. Um, However, the movie is kind of made for us. It's kind of made for people that, you know, are in their, their late 30s or mid 30s or whatever, um, who kind of grew up on this stuff. I guess your 40s, that whole like 80s, I don't know, Gen X or whatever. Um, you know, you grew up on this stuff. There's a lot of um, homage that's paid to a lot of these classic movies. And they, they're not even sneaky about it. They show you sometimes they're literally trying to, you know, reference this movie or reference that movie. Um, and then how they deal with the ghosts when they realize the situation is there. Is there's where the subversive part comes in, where I can say, okay, well, this is what's going to happen now, and then that, that doesn't happen, and then when when you say, okay, well, now I see what you're saying, now I think this is what's going to happen, that doesn't happen, and it's not in a negative or mean spirited way, it's just things go kind of a little bit different and keep it interesting. So I was very interested the entire film. I didn't really know what was going to happen next, and even when I was pretty sure I had the ending figured out, I didn't necessarily have it figured out. And I was like, wow, this was this is pretty good. And I go online and see it got a six out of ten. And I'm like, I don't get it. I do recognize and I do feel 
that you can see a lot of things going on in the film which might be distracting to you as a moviegoer because you're so we're all so trained to argue and fight over all these different um you know quote unquote controversial topics or hot button topics but if you sit back and just watch the film and say okay this is the story they're presenting to me um you know what you know what's going on there which is what we do with all the other films you grew up on um even though those films were also you know pushing something so if you look at a film like, you know, a modern film and say, oh, now there's like woke culture and they're putting every character into a movie. Yeah, well, growing up, you know, to be perfectly honest, films were white culture. It was just films full of white people because they were, you know, biased to that kind of person and putting them in films because that's what they wanted to do and they're discriminating other people. We don't get mad at those films for it. Why Why is it okay for all the films we grew up on? Is because we weren't thinking about it, right? And that, I think, is the point. I think, you know, if you don't think about it, you sit down and try to watch this story that these storytellers wanted to tell you, that these actors wanted to do, everybody played their role to perfection. Every character was interesting. There's so many nice little subtle moments where even supporting characters, I thought, did something I didn't expect them to do. And it showed how they were all family in that way, where like you might have a cousin or you might have a brother or somebody that's different than you, but at the end of the day, you're still a family when it matters. And they captured those moments, I thought, in a really, really good way. It won me over. By the end of it, I thought, this is really good. I do admit watching it, there's a lot of things that I had to like, like, you know, get rid of and, you know, kind of not get caught up on this element and kind of trust the filmmaker to give me a story that mattered. And at the end of it, I thought the story mattered a lot. Um, I thought it was a good story and very different. And I'm really happy they made the film. And kudos to Netflix. I think that's the kind of stuff Netflix can do that helps it stand out. Where you look at other, you know, you know, people like you look at HBO, you kind of expect a certain thing from HBO at this point. It has to have a certain graphic nature to it, um, certain kind of content. And I think Disney obviously has the more wholesome, family-friendly stuff. Netflix is the place where experimental should live. They should do things that no one else can do. Squid Games is a great example. You know, like on paper, that doesn't make sense that Squid Games works. Um, and Squid Games is awesome. Uh, everyone for Halloween was dressed up as Squid Games. And they, I don't know if you are dying for season two. So, yeah, like that's what I think Netflix really shines. Where it's like, yeah, keep paying for us because we'll give you most of the regular movies that the other companies, you know, have. But then we're also going to give you some other stuff that makes you, you know, happy that you're paying for the service this week uh, or this month. So that's that's my movie of the week. We have Ghost. Check it out on Netflix. How I went from bankrupt to not bankrupt anymore and kind of having decent credit. Um, that's kind of the, the, the title of this, this, uh, part of the podcast. It's a, it's a great story. And I used to tell this story with such energy. I, I felt like so brave and cavalier and daring because when I would tell people how I became bankrupt at like 19 or like 20, everyone was like, you're crazy. You don't care. And I was like, ha ha ha. I know. Right. Ain't I crazy? And some of that is still true. I think about 70% of that is still true. Um, I, I, I do like the fact that I was not afraid and I chased my dreams. However, I definitely probably could have went about that a little bit better. Um, but I learned some things. I learned some things about even the economic situation that I was in as a child that I did not know as a young child, as a young adult, I did not know. And some people who are more educated explained these things to me and helped me get my credit together. I'm going to share that stuff with you guys. So if you're anybody out there who are helping me get my credit together, thank you so much for tuning in and you guys know who you are. And then, um, yeah, anybody out there just working on that, trying to do it, definitely do it. I definitely feel a lot, lot better. 
um, getting that stuff situated and, you know, set myself up, I think, better for a future um, that's more financially stable and less, you know, crazy, cool, risky things. Um, which was a, it's a young man's game, right? That's something more that when I was youthful made sense. But it's something also I would tell my kids, you know, I didn't have a lot of financial literacy. I didn't know a lot about finance when I was 18 and 19. Um, you know, it was really just me and my friends going with our gut saying, we're going to start a business. This is what we're going to do. Yeah, I don't care. And I thought for me, the mindset I had was like, it was me showing how dedicated I was to risk it. I, I didn't mind risking it. I'd risk anything for those guys. Um, and that, well, that's all romantic and great. And in my mind, you know, I probably could have just like, you know, said like, Hey, I'm, I'll be, I'll, I got you guys back. Like I could write in something else. Right. And part of it too, um, was all a mix. Let's go through all this. Right. So when I was 19 ish, 20 ish, something around that ballpark, um, I was in a position to start my own record company with one of my friends and my friend had a lot of equipment and I was never you know interested in making my own music. stuff like that at the time, I didn't think about that at the time. Um, and when I decided at one point, I said, well, I had two things I wanted to do. I wanted to get a computer um, so I could have a decent computer that can, you know, edit video and, and make music, all the things I was into. Um, but I also wanted one that could play video games. I just wanted like an ultimate computer. I started saving up money like everyone does. And I think I saved up money for about six months. And it was hard for me to do. It was hard for me to do at that age, that impulse control, and also just not really making a ton of money at that age. But I saved up money. And I got pretty close to like the full price of getting a computer. And then I went to go buy the computer and I was like $100 short. So I had to wait like two more weeks to get the computer. I was already in the store. I thought I was getting the computer. I was checking out basically. And I didn't, you know, think about taxes and like fees basically. So it was, it was just crushed. And I really should have just went home. But that it was such a uh, like, oh man, like I waited this long. I just want to get this over with. And the person to register said, we'd like to apply for a credit card. And I had no idea what that really meant. And that's your first sign right there that you're in trouble because you shouldn't be doing things if you don't have no idea what they are, right? But they explained to me, oh, it's, you know, you give us basically the money now. Um, you know, you can have a limit. Maybe I think my limit they gave me was $2,500. Um, and they're like, yeah, and then there's no interest for like the first year. So you kind of just pay whatever you want. And I'm thinking, well, I already got like $1,000. I just need like $100 more so I can leave you with the computer and then I'll have, you know, I'll pay them $100 in two weeks, end of story. And that's what I should have did. And I think that's what everyone thinks they would do. And, and the reason they make these, these promotions is because that's not what people do, right? <laughs> not what a lot of people do. Well, at least not what I did. Um, you know, in that situation, I thought, hey, well, hey, what's up? I mean, I might as well, like, spend, like, another 500 bucks or something like that. Why don't we just, like, throw some more stuff on here? I might need, like, a nice mouse pad. Maybe I need a new desk. Maybe I need some other things to combine this store. And I'll just pay on this, you know, later. I got a whole year to pay it off. I already got the first thousand for it. Um, and they gave me that limit of $2,500. So I applied for it, got that, whatever. And then I started thinking, I wonder what other stores are giving me credit cards. Well, the same day, within like three hours, I went to two other stores and got similar giant credit cards. Giant for me, at least at that age. And completely like redid my room, basically. Got all the sound equipment. Everyone gave me these great, great deals. Again, no interest, and I thought, sure, I'll pay on this stuff over the year. Probably by the year, second year, if I'm still paying on this stuff, and I have to pay a little interest, not a big deal because I'll have all this great stuff, and I'll probably be making tons of money by then. The next two years, my business is going to just fly off, whatever. None of that happened, right? So I had fun, um, but definitely, you know, in over my head, those bills piled up. The reality of that, the impulse control to handle all that money, all that debt was not there. 
And then other real life problems happen, which they will happen. And I turned to those credit cards to get myself out of jams and also to just use them for pleasure, I'm sure, at some points when I was just stressed from life and having access to that money. Instead of waiting and being patient and disciplined, completely ruined my, my, my original credit. And once I did, I started looking into what was bankruptcy going to be like. And people explained to me, yeah, pretty much you fought for bankruptcy for 10 years. You really don't have any credit. And there you go. And I'm young. So I figured, hey, well, I don't plan on buying a house when I'm 30. I don't plan on settling down at that age. So I'm going to go ahead and just do this. Come to find out, I, I, just, I decided to settle down like around 31. So that was not really the best idea. And of course, I didn't know that 10 years in advance, right? Um, but these are all things that at the time, they're all decisions I'm making based off my instinct. And then sitting down recently with a financial advisor, they explained to me that now they actually passed laws to make it so kids can't get cards like that and they can't do those things. They described the market as predatory, which I did not realize. And yes, as a young child, they all knew I was going to do that kind of stuff and be in their debt forever. Um, I don't think they knew I was going to file for bankruptcy, but even doing that, it did obviously set me back for 10 years and took away the option to have credit and use it wisely in situations where I needed to help my business get by or whatever. Um, it really kind of put me in a point where after that, I had to do everything based on just the money I earned, which means I had to do things slower, which means certain situations came along. I couldn't jump on certain opportunities, certain entry fees, certain things I couldn't afford to do. Um, and I still managed to tell myself oh, I was no big deal, but definitely it wasn't a great, it wasn't a great experience to go through. And um, yeah, so a lot of money, a lot of time, even filing for bankruptcy costs like another like $1,200. Um, yeah, you know, stuff that could have went to my, my initial credit card debt, right? That's kind of really the whole point is that at the time I didn't know all those things. And, you know, when I even got to the point where it was time to rebuild my credit, I was in no rush. I probably waited an additional five years because I just hated the whole idea of credit. I just wanted to pay regular stuff. I had a very bad experience with it. So how I started fixing my credit, how things started to work for me was I went down, I sat down with a person who understood these things. I went down to American Heritage, uh, the bank, and I'm sure you can do this at many different banks, but I trusted this person. I knew him from you know different different ways. I won't get into like everyone's personal identities on on the podcast, but you know for and then me sake, you know I knew the person, um, and I trusted that they knew what to do and they they understood like you know what the situation was, and they started explaining to me some very simple, easy to follow steps, and I laid out like about six months to a year plan on simple things to do to start rebuilding your credit. So I did them. I didn't do them perfectly. Um, you know, but it took about six months to try to, you know, figure it out and really get comfortable with the concept. And I can say now moving into this year, I now have no credit card debt or anything like that. I have two active credit cards. I'm at the point now where I probably could increase the limits a bit if I wanted to, and I don't want to use them. And that's the key. The maturity that comes from that, me not caring about the fact I have these cards, and in fact, they're kind of annoying because I do have to keep them active. Like I have to do something with them. Like I'll buy like gas one month and then just pay that off. Real simple, small stuff used to show that I have an active credit history because that's what the, the people are really looking for when you're their lender. They're looking to see, are you somebody who's credible? Can I give you money and you give me back the money next month or you know, in, in the agreed upon term of time? And you have to show that you can do that, avoid late fees and stuff like that. Um, it takes some effort. It takes some you know, maturity. And it makes perfect sense now. And I'm excited knowing that now, you know, third year into my business, I'm going into this year with with great, well, not great credit, but a lot better credit. Credit that it just is now, this, I'm on a road to just constantly keep improving it. Um, and then I'm like, yeah, now when I have a situation where I need to make, book a plane ticket the last minute or have some situation, I'll be able to turn to one of my cards and do that. Um, if you ask them the cards, wondering what cards I use when you have bad credit or you want to get started, everyone told me to get a Kohl's card. And I'm not a big fan of the Kohl's department store, 
But everyone said, hey, you know, that's a good card to start like building your credit with. And I think they have like lower rates um, and they kind of approve almost everybody. And uh, they, they're really on top of you. They call you a thousand times. They like, they really make you kind of, they almost like teach you, I feel like in a way, how to use credit since they're all over you. And I feel like the store also doesn't have a ton of things for you to really blow your money on. Like you can buy like probably one real nice thing in there, but they might have like a nice kitchen thing and like a nice electronic thing, but like not 10 of both, right? So I can't like make a whole music studio in there, but they have some practical things. A lot of times they use it for like a last minute gift. Um, you know, got got invited to someone's party and they think about it and need to pick up a gift. A lot of nice gifts and stuff like that in there. Some clothes you can get, some kid toys, uh, a few different electronics here or there. Nothing that you really absolutely need. So like a lot of times it's a great card because I don't feel like I really want to use it for everything. If it was a Barnes Noble credit card, I might buy like, you know, $500 in art books for no reason. Like that's not good. That's not a good idea, right? I mean, those also requires the impulse control to not do that kind of stuff. But yeah, the Kohl's card was a great idea. I was not really excited about getting it, and it worked out great. And then also, I started um, a second banking account with American Heritage, and it's been great. You know, I, I don't mind TD Bank. Um, they're big and they're convenient, but they don't really do anything else for me, and their rates are not great. So sitting down with my friend at American Heritage and him explaining to me the different options they had there, um, that helped me out a whole lot. And it's a little bit harder sometimes to get the money. It's not as convenient. The bank is not as open as often. Or they have these other little things are different if you're used to like a big mainstream bank. But I think that's good because the money shouldn't be that accessible. You shouldn't be able to grab hundreds of dollars very fast, you know, if you don't really need it. And usually like if it's like a serious emergency, you can still get to your money. It's not like it's impossible to get to. My point is that I think the the rates and stuff are cheaper because they don't have as many employees. They're not such a, they don't have such a big overhead. Um, and that's, that saves, that sends that savings onto you basically. Um, but you're going to have those little other minor inconveniences if you're used to a bigger branch. And that's, and that's, you know, that's what it is. But I, I definitely recommend American Heritage. You got a secure card through them. That's when you put down, if you don't know, because I didn't know at the time, um, you know, you put down like $200, $300, whatever, you invest that money. I think I did that with my income tax from last year to get that card started up. And now moving into this year, I'm, I'm not even worried about that. I'm in a whole different kind of financial situation um, and things are going well. So those are some of my experiences, you know, and I wanted to share that with you guys because when I talk about the show, I want to also let you guys know the things that, you know, work out well for me and they don't work out and explain like, you know, all that's kind of said because I want to make, you know, movies. I want to write about, you know, fun comic book stuff. So if you're an artist and you're thinking, ah, well, I don't really want to do all that other stuff. These are these are things that you're going to have to deal with at some point, right? As a mature adult, you're going to have to understand how to manage your money and do these things. And I was not really aware of that. No one sat me down and told me that. Um, you know, me and my friends were real gung ho and kind of just leading the charge. And now I'm in a position where I'm like, okay, well, if I could, you know, look back and tell some people, yeah, I did crazy, you know, you know, reckless things too. Um, but honestly, these are some of the things that it'd be better to not mess these, these things up for you. It's just going to slow you down. They're tools that are great to, you know, when you need them. Um, and also you have to know more about even the situation, right? Cause I don't know, honestly, right now, if you go out and you're, you know, 18 or 19, how they're going to treat you. Cause I'm not that person anymore. And I, I went to a friend but definitely, you know, ask around, talk to your family, see if there's anybody that knows anybody. Um, it's someone that you can kind of trust and figure out your financial future, right? So those are the two things I wanted to mention on this portion of the podcast. I hope you guys start off and have a great year and get all the things you want done. After this, we're going to go ahead and go to the after show. Welcome to the after show. Go ahead and stretch. 
yeah, let your hair down, relax. If you made it this far, thank you so much. This is the Easter egg. You found the, the secret end credit scene for the Samuel Rye podcast where I like to just let the hair down and, you know, be me, be Louis, Luis Roman, be my, 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 uh, my friends talk to me about how I pronounce my name, right? Because everyone calls me Louis. My name is actually Luis, like a hot Latin lover that I am. That's what it is. Um, and, you know, they're, they're kind of like talking about the name meanings, how people pronounce names, all the effort they put into it. But yeah, this is the part of the podcast where I just say random stuff and just talk about whatever I feel like talking about and just be me and just chill with you guys who said, yeah, I want to listen to this guy talk for another 10 minutes or so. So you're in luck because that's what I'm going to do. Um, I had a great conversation with a friend this week about being a, a bullshitter. That's right. We started, we started using grown-up words on, on the after show. Um, and I, I, you know, I had a situation I ran into this week. I made some decisions for myself to kind of like, you know, step out and do some things. And then I didn't do them. I was like, oh, I'll do them like the second day. And I'm going to do them the second day. But they, they really called me out on it. Like, hey, look, you know, you said you're going to do these things and you didn't do them. And you could have took that more serious. You should have took that more serious and do that. And I really appreciated that. I really appreciated them really letting me know. Hey, like, you know, if you're telling this story in your head any other kind of way, that's you got to hold yourself to that standard. If this is the standard you're going to set for every people around you and you're going to criticize them for any of these things they do, you got to hold yourself to that standard. So I thought, you know what? Thank you for saying that to me. I really appreciate that. And I hope you guys have friends and people that will go and tell you, look, this is what this is what's going on. I don't I never look at myself in the mirror and say it was just me. I'm awesome. I did it all. I get by with a little help from my friends. And I've been lucky, I've been blessed, I've been so fortunate to have some great people in my life, um, some great, great friends at different times in my life that have been there, have been very instrumental. Um, so I hope you guys have that. And again, I have to plug this the, the Discord, right? Where I'm like, why? People say, why the Discord, man? Why are you doing that? I really believe that there are nice people out there, people who are interested, people who have dreams. And a lot of times they just don't have enough people around them to support them, to cheer them on, to say, hey, show me that song you did. Hey, show me that thing. Yeah, you should sell it. That's cool. Yeah, go ahead and try it. Have that experience. That's what the Same Rice Syndicate's about. I really want people to be there and to, you know, interact with each other. And we kind of come up with fun games and promotions and things like that, you know, try to, you know, be more of like a YouTube, you know, social media kind of community. But that's not really the full, the forefront of it isn't that. It's hoping that people can connect and really get to know each other in a real way. And that's something that was still, it's still growing, right? How to make community, something I'm still working on. And I hope you guys, if you guys haven't tried it out, go to samurai.com, join the Discord. Be a part of it, man. You know, if you have love to give and you want to be there and be supportive for people, I just want to create a real positive environment. And that's where I hope that place will be for people. Looking at the week, you know, there's a lot of stuff I think that's, that's going on for us over here, at least if you're in Jersey or in the East Coast. But I, I'm at that point where I feel like I am sick and tired of this cold weather. I really want this weather to be done with. Um, it's nice some days. It's cold other days. This morning, it was extremely sunny and beautiful and also freezing, which I didn't even know how to handle when I, was, when I went outside. I was like, I want to go like run because all this vitamin C and these sun rays make me feel like Superman. And then I go outside. I'm like, but it's also cold. And my brain doesn't know how to do this. I'm just going to go back inside the house. But um, yeah, yeah, I can't wait for this weather to be over. I can't wait to move on to the summer. Um, I'm trying to still be effective and get things done during the winter, but I'm, I'm really done. I'm over the whole thing. And I don't know about you guys, but hopefully you're having a better chance, you know, or a better time dealing with the, the weather than I am. 
Um, other weird things I got into this week, random thoughts, he's chilling here, was I tried an absolute straight-up martini, and it was horrible. I really thought that I was going to fall in love with martinis, and I'm still working on it because I made it myself, and I hate, I hate that, like, drinking things or trying to become, like, an aficionado of something is so you can't do by yourself. You need other people around you kind of to guide you. Um, and I looked up online at all this stuff, and I felt like there was no really great way to have an honest conversation about a martini. Everyone was saying all this stuff. Every person's YouTube video was just them showing off on how great they think they are as a bartender. And I'm like, yeah, like, but like, why? Why are these things here? Why does this taste this way? So I got all the pieces. I tasted them individually. I tried to really understand what I was doing. Um, I got all the, the stuff for it. And at the end of it, it didn't come out good. So I kind of wanted to give up and say, ah, well, maybe this martini thing is just not for me because this doesn't even sound, it don't even taste anything near good. I even saw one article that was like, yeah, you know, when you first taste it, it tastes real horrible, but then you get used to it after a while and then it becomes good. I was like, I don't know if I want to invest in that kind of experience in my life. I don't know why I have to like torture myself with something so it can eventually be good. I kind of rather it just be good from the day one. Why? Like, who, how do you learn that things are good by doing things that are that you don't enjoy doing and then one day it might become good because you're just used to them? It's like the most horrible way to recommend something. But I, again, these are the articles I've seen online. But I had a bartender friend. He said he he makes them really well. Um, everyone likes it, so I'm gonna see if I can go get him to to give me one. Um, or you know, and I, in the meantime, I'm gonna keep experimenting. I did find a nice little combination. I don't know what you would call it, but I had like basically a monster and vodka, monster energy drink and vodka, and that that got me there. Four ounces of vodka, pretty much eight ounces of monster, um, whichever one you want to prefer. On maybe like four or five cubes of ice. And um, yeah, that's a that's a decent that's a decent one. It's I don't want to make a habit out, but if you want to get started, that's one that's one to get you started, right? I don't drink a lot either. If you're wondering, like, I don't drink. That's what kind of my problem. I don't know enough about drinking, and I don't want to become some kind of alcoholic. But I would like to at least know as a man what am I supposed to be drinking. I feel like that's a quality a man should should have. I know it's vodka. I discovered that over like ten years or fifteen years of trials and error, but now. I'm like, well, I want to take this vodka to the next level. I want to do something bigger with it. And I thought the martini would have been that. Maybe it will be. We'll still keep working on it. But yeah, it's kind of random stuff I'm getting into during the week. Um, You know, if you guys are interested, Fortnite season ends in 10 days. So this might be the last podcast of this season. Um, Probably by next week, I might want to talk about Fortnite, you know, more or whatever on the show. And then No Man's Sky has the expeditions out. It's about five weeks long. So you got plenty of time to try it out. Um, this that game, if you never played it and you think it's even a little bit interesting, buy it. Buy it now. Um, I used to hate that game and thought it was a big ripoff, and it's evolved into one of the best games I've ever played. Uh, at this point, they've added way too much content for anybody to even complain about it, and it frequently goes on sale, so you're getting a, a giant steal for a lot of quality content. Um, but over the next five weeks, I'll be popping in and out, you know, trying to make sure I got that No Man's Sky thing done. Um, and then trying to wrap up my Fortnite season. But yeah, I hope you guys are having awesome, cool, regular times too. You know, that's what the after show is about. Just the stuff you do, you know, afterwards. What are you hanging out with? What are you doing? Let me know. Hit me up. I love talking to you guys. I'm not going to take up any more of your time. This is Sammy Rye. I'm going to get out of here. Peace.